Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Levi Pancake. For those who don't know me, I serve as one of the elders on staff. And we are in our third of four weeks in this Advent series titled Songs of Christmas. And this morning, uh, we are looking at the angel song found in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. That's Luke 2, 8 through 20. While you're turning there, uh, just a quick reminder to all of our members uh, that we do have a uh, members meeting this evening. It is going to be virtually via Zoom, um, the less than stellar option, but nonetheless, we still can uh, cover a few important things, pray, all that fun stuff. So if you are a member, um, we ask that you make that a priority this evening. You should already have access to the Zoom link. However, if you don't, um, you can always uh, email info at missyourchurch.org or Michelle and figure that out. Okay, well, Luke, chapter 2, starting in verse 8, this is the word of the Lord. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to uh, gather as your people, praising you, glorifying you, declaring your goodness, your grace, your mercy. This morning as we consider this birth announcement given to the shepherds, by an angel, that familiarity to this message wouldn't breed contempt, but rather we would ponder, treasure, glorify, and praise today, tomorrow, and throughout the season. Now, Father, incline our hearts to your truth. Open our eyes. Give us understanding, and please satisfy us with your word and with your promises this morning. We entrust this all to you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So gender reveal parties have become quite the thing. They've been a bit muted in uh, the year 2020 with the pandemic and everything. But before the pandemic, I mean, the, the gender reveal parties were getting pretty out of hand. Gone are the days where you'd invite some friends, a few family members over. You were expecting a child. The expectant parents would cut into a cake. And if the inside of the cake was blue, you were having a boy. If the inside of the cake was pink, you were having a girl. No, 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 no. 
That is, uh, that's old school stuff. You know, that's JV type of stuff. Now, everyone tries to one-up one another in these gender reveal parties. So, um, of course, I looked up a few outrageous gender reveal parties what, uh, that didn't end very well, and here are some of them that I found. Uh, one uh, ridiculous one was this. A couple used fireworks to reveal the gender, only instead of those fireworks going up into the air where fireworks are supposed to go, they went out into the crowd where they're not supposed to go, and there were many, many injuries, and the hospital was very busy that particular night. Uh, a Louisiana couple used an alligator, that's right, only in Louisiana, used an alligator to reveal the gender of their child. Uh, they had an alligator, unleashed by the way, just kind of wild and out there, bite into a watermelon filled with blue slime, thus revealing that the expectant couple was having a boy. Another one in an Applebee's uh, in Ohio, uh, there was a gender reveal party in the parking lot, and so they were to throw confetti everywhere, and, and the color of that confetti was going to reveal the gender. And they did that, and everyone was having quite the time. But then the Applebee's manager and a few employees came out and asked the party of 20 to clean up the confetti in the Applebee's parking lot. And that wasn't part of their party plans. So, um, a little disagreement ensued, followed by a little fisticuffs, and uh, the police were called as this big fight broke out in the Applebee's parking lot. Last one, an off-duty border patrol agent, not sure why that's relevant, but thought that was interesting, accidentally started a 47,000-acre wildfire in Arizona when that couple, in order to reveal the gender of their baby, set off a box of fireworks in a field to celebrate uh, what was coming, which then, of course, the fire just raged well outside of their control. Moral of the story, uh, don't use fireworks or uh, don't go to an Applebee's if you want to reveal uh, the gender of your child. I mean, pretty ridiculous stuff. Um, but if you wanted to one-up all of them, like if you wanted to have like the cream of the crop gender reveal party, what you could do is you could have an angel announce the gender of your baby. That would be exciting. And then have a multitude of the heavenly hosts show up in the sky and then just start singing like, it's a boy, it's a girl, something like that. I mean, that would that'd be a pretty incredible scene. Well, we kind of have a scene like that, although it's not a gender reveal party. It's a birth announcement, which are pretty big celebrations in their own right. But it's not the birth of any child, of course. It's the birth of Savior, Christ, the Lord. And the angel announces it to the shepherds. And then the heavenly host sings and praises God with this great line in verse 14. We're going to see three things uh, this morning all centered around this birth announcement of our Savior and our Lord. We're going to see the appearance of the angel. We're going to see the announcement. And then we're going to see the verification of the announcement. Uh, you see the appearance, the announcement, the verification, pretty simple outline but profound truth being declared uh, to these shepherds um, 2,000 years ago. First, the appearance, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Nothing new here, nothing to see. Shepherds, first century, in a field, keeping watch over their sheep. That's what shepherds do. But then, in verse 9, something miraculous happens. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Shepherds out in the field see this angel, and that appearance 
just fills them with great fear. Now, uh, typically in the Scriptures, when, when there's an appearance of the glory of the Lord, uh, it generally means that there's some major announcement, some significant revelation coming. And generally, the response is one of fear. Just go back the last two weeks and the songs that we were looking at. Mary's song. Mary was filled with fear. Zechariah, yep, he had the same response as well. You can look at Jesus' disciples on the uh, Mount of Transfiguration. I mean, they were filled with great fear. You can go to the Old Testament, the Mount Sinai, where the Israelites are at the base of the mountain and, and it's shaken and thunder and all this stuff, and they're filled with great fear. You got Isaiah. When he sees the, the train of the Lord's robe and he just gets a glimpse of God's glory, he responds by saying, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. I mean, this is a typical response. You see this type of glory and you're overcome with trembling and fear. And I do want to add, and I, I think it is really interesting that um, this birth announcement, it, it goes to shepherds. Okay, you want to make a birth announcement now, you go to Facebook, social media, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, uh, you're not going to get more likes. Like, it, it, historically, you know how Facebook, like sometimes on this date, and uh, when Julie and I announced the, the, uh, that we were pregnant with our two kids, I mean, we've never had a post that had that many likes, except for one thing, when we announced we were getting a puppy, that had plenty more likes than our children. Uh, so that's the one way to top, I guess, a birth announcement would be a puppy announcement. But, but that's where we go to kind of make these big announcements now. In the first century, you want people to hear about this announcement, then you want to go to Caesar Augustus. I mean, the Roman emperor. You want to go to the major cities on the big trade routes. You want to tell all the high-ranking officials. You want to talk to the aristocracy. I mean, that's where you go if you want the word to spread that something significant is happening. You don't go to a shepherd or shepherds out in a random field. Yet that's exactly what the Lord chooses to do, how this angel makes this announcement. I mean, the, the trademark of, one of the trademarks of Luke's gospel is that he takes this message, uh, or the Lord gives this message, or Jesus goes to the least of these, the ones that are left out, uh, the overlooked. I mean, that segment of the general population gets highlighted a lot in this gospel, and it's clearly highlighted in this birth announcement. You know, it's just a great reminder to us that God continues to work in unexpected ways, ways that are different than you and I might choose to operate or decisions that are different that you and I would decide uh, maybe to do things slightly in a different way. He often works in uh, different ways that we would predict or anticipate. I mean, the Scriptures do teach us that I think again of the book of Isaiah, chapter 66. This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. I mean, the Lord just, just works in some upside-down ways than what we're typically expecting. Our staff, we're, we're reading uh, 1 Corinthians right now, and I was reminded of this verse in, uh, as we were reading chapter 1 a few weeks ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 and 29, just to highlight this principle, says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world 
to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This birth announcement, rather than going to the pillars uh, of society, at least in the world's eyes, it goes to these shepherds out in the field. Okay, so that's the appearance, but then let's look at the crux of, of the point of this passage, the announcement. And uh, I want you to notice, uh, as significant and wonderful and frightening as the appearance of the angels, that's not the main thing. The main thing is the message, the, the announcement that the angel is bringing. If you look at verses 15 through 20, you see that this announcement is referred to uh, it or a thing or a saying. In verse 15, uh, the shepherds say to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing. It's the announcement. Um, in verse 17, when they saw it, what? The manifestation of the announcement. They made known the saying. What was the saying? What the angels revealed to them. Mary pondered up these things. And then the shepherds, when they go back home and they're praising and glorifying God, they're doing that because what they had heard and seen was exactly what it had been told them. That's the last phrase of verse 20. The, the essence, the substance of this passage is the announcement, not actually the deliverer of the news. So let's consider the essence of that announcement. Verse 10 of chapter 2, it says this, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Okay, this is good news, brings great joy for all the people. He's setting it up. And it is, in fact, good news of great joy. I mean, that's why we sing in this season. A lot of our Christmas songs have the word joy in it. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Or how about the ode to joy? Joyful, joyful, we adore you. God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before you, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. This is good news of great joy for all the people, Jews and Gentiles alike, every socioeconomic class, every political affiliation, every ethnicity, every country of origin, of all people, good news, great joy. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There are three titles here, three significant things that are used to describe Jesus. Savior, Christ, Lord. So many want to reduce, reduce Jesus to something or someone other than Savior, Christ, Lord. Jesus was a good teacher, great teacher, but He wasn't just or only a great teacher. Jesus was Savior, 
Christ and Lord. Jesus was a moral example. Yes, he was. But he wasn't only a moral example. He was Savior, Christ, and Lord. Jesus was a revolutionary, in a sense. But he wasn't only or just a revolutionary. He was Savior, Christ, and Lord. Jesus wasn't just a social justice warrior, though he cared for the overlooked and the least of these. But he was Savior, Christ, and Lord. He's Savior. This implies that you and I and all of mankind needs rescued. We need to be redeemed. Jesus' job was to save. Uh, my family, we live uh, in an, an older home uh, built in the 1920s, an old house, uh, but a good house, great house. And uh, in our old house, uh, there are only a few doors in our home that have locks on them, and uh, our bedroom would be uh, one of them. And uh, a few years ago, well, so my daughter's nine, my son is seven, so I think Sophia was four and Judah was two. Uh, the whole family were upstairs, and uh, the kids were playing in our bedroom, and we heard the door closed. And I think Julie and I were just in one of the kids' rooms, like we could hear them all, we were maybe six feet away, you know, uh, coronavirus dis- social distancing is basically what we were doing. And, um, but the door had closed, we thought nothing of it. And they're playing, we could hear them, whatever. And uh, then I had to get something out of the room, and I go to open the door, and I can't because it's locked. Now, my kids are oblivious to it. They don't know anything that's going on. They're still giggling, laughing, having the time of their life. So, you know, I try to do what I can do, which is basically nothing. And, uh, and then I call my wife over because if you don't know this about my wife, she's basically like MacGyver. I mean, she can just figure anything out. And so I call MacGyver over, and she uh, can't figure it out either. And then I know we're in a bit of a pickle. We're in a situation. And immediately my brain goes to, like, okay, great. Like, we're going to have to call the fire department, and the fire department is going to come in. They're going to have to chop the door down with an ax. Probably, you probably know fire, like, safety protocols in these type of situations. I don't know, so that's where my brain went. And then I'm thinking, how do we protect our four-year-old from getting an axe to the head? Like all kinds of weird scenarios are, are in my brain. And so we're through the door. Uh, hey, Sophia, come over here. Uh, can you open the door? Sure. She can't. Can you try to unlock it? Sure. She can't. And then all of a sudden, on a dime, she starts losing her ever-loving mind. And when she starts losing her ever-loving mind, my son starts losing his mind, and it's just chaos total chaos. And what they're expressing externally, Julie and I are feeling internally. And so we're trying to coach through the little keyhole uh, to our daughter, like how to unlock the door to the four-year-old. She's a bright child, but it's kind of difficult. The lock gets stuck. And what felt like for an eternity, which was probably all of 25 seconds, she somehow got it unlocked. We open the door. We embrace them. It's just this wonderful moment of, of rescue. It took another 30 seconds for the tears to calm down and, and all that stuff. If you're a parent, especially of young kids, you've, you've been in situations maybe like that before. Maybe you're a little more um, uh, responsible where you wouldn't allow your kids to get locked in a room. But nonetheless, I mean, you guys have felt that. There's a, there's a moment of panic, and then they're rescued, and it, it's all good. I highlight that because prior to my kids realizing that they needed to be rescued, they were happy as can be. But once they realized that there was some kind of threat, some kind of danger, 
all bets were off. And they appreciated us getting into the room because they knew the danger. Now, probably a silly illustration, but the point is that the term Savior implies rescue. And it's good news of great joy to those who know they need to be rescued, who recognize that they need a Savior. Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who recognize their own spiritual poverty, their own spiritual depravity, their own spiritual bankruptcy, that they need a Savior. For when we come to that realization and turn to Him, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we don't actually believe that we're in need of a Savior, then it's not good news of great joy. But if we humble ourselves, acknowledge that need, it is, in fact, wonderful glorious and precious news. He's Savior, He's Christ, and He's Lord. Christ is a title. It means, uh, it's a Greek adjective meaning anointed. The Hebrew rendering is Messiah. By this time, the first century, the term came to be used as a title. Recognize the promised end times king from the line of David. What the angel's announcing is that you have the Savior, this rescuer, and you have the Christ, the anointed one, who is from the line of David, who is going to be the end times king, the ruler of all, thus leading to the last one, Lord. Jesus is Savior, but He's not just Savior. He is Savior and Lord. He is a ruler, and He rules, and He reigns, and He's king, and we're to praise Him. And acknowledge him as such. Then he gives a sign in verse 12. The angel says, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Okay, a baby in swaddling cloths, no big deal. But lying in a manger, what's up with that? I thought you just said he was Savior, Christ, and Lord. Why would he be in a feeding trough? And when you think of a, a king who's just born, I mean, you don't go to a feeding trough or a manger. You, you think of palace. Uh, right now, at least in pop culture, uh, the show The Crown is all the rage. The Crown is a Netflix series based on uh, Queen Elizabeth and, and her reign. And season four just came out. Now, season four is a big deal. It goes from 1979 to 90 uh, because they, they introduced Princess Diana. So everyone's talking about it, and there's this big scandal as to you know, whether Netflix should use a little like message at the beginning that says this is dramatization and fiction because people think that it's actually all real, but it's kind of, kind of based on real events. But nonetheless, there's a lot of talk about the crown, and, and I don't remember when William and Harry were born, uh, but I do remember when Prince George was born. He's third in line to the crown. You got Queen Elizabeth, you got Charles, you got uh, William, and then you got George. And I remember the announcement. I remember, I mean, I don't even live in England and I remember it. You remember the hoopla and you, you remember the pampering, you remember the, 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 the media, all the attention, the ooing and the aahing, and you think that guy has maids, I mean, hundreds of maids at his disposal, uh, just a ridiculous amount of riches at his disposal. I mean, that is what you think of when a prince uh, or a king enters the world, but the angel says, no, this king, once again with his upside-down way of doing things, he comes into the world in the most humblest of manners. There's not even room in the inn for him. 
And his life would be bookended by, um, by living or being born and then being laid down in a feeding trough and dying next to robbers. That's our Savior. And then, when the announcement is done, verses 13 and 14, it says, And suddenly, with the angel, there's a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, and here's the song, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I don't know if you know how much a multitude is, but it's not 50, it's not 150, it's not 1,500. It is something that can't be counted. Can you imagine being in that field, looking up at the heavens and seeing a number that you can't even count just show up in the sky? When I think of looking up at a starry night, I think of my grandparents' farm in West Virginia, 1,500-acre dairy farm. Going there as a kid, and they're just nowhere near any towns, villages, cities, or whatever. So you look up, and on a clear night, I mean, the sky just pops with stars. It's almost bright how many stars there are. I mean, that's what these shepherds are kind of looking at, a night sky like that. And then they see a multitude of the heavenly hosts, I mean, just glorifying and praising God and worshiping God for this miraculous intervention into the plight of humanity. Praising singing and declaring peace. It's not some superficial peace. Alistair Begg, he's written a short book on these four songs, says that Caesar Augustus, who was the Roman emperor at this time, um, he had established what was known as the Pax Romana, which is an empire at peace. It would guarantee a peaceful society unless you happen to be a slave or a rebel. But he quote, quote, but the peace of Rome was about to be dwarfed by the peace of God. The angels praise God because with the birth of this Savior, Lord, and Christ, there is now peace. We can have peace with God. We can have peace with one another. We can have peace with ourselves. And it's the type of peace that isn't secured by Roman legions. But it's much more deep and profound and transformational than anything that had ever come before. Please don't allow the familiarity of this season or the gospel message or this almost prideful presupposition that says, well, of course God has to give us peace. That's what God does. No, no, no. You and I were enemies. Colossians says we are hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, and then God breaks in through the birth of Christ and offers peace in this pandemic Christmas with a kind of contested election. I don't even know what to call what's going on right now. Don't allow all the circumstances to rob you of your peace and your joy. We have one who rules and reigns who's come to reconcile us back to our Creator. And quickly, in order to verify the news in verses 15 through 20, you see three different groups of people. You see the shepherds, you see the crowd, and you see Mary. And in about a minute and a half, I just want to highlight the different responses that you see there. 
Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. They weren't wasting any time. Found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You have the shepherds, uh, as soon as the angels go away, they go trying to verify the news with haste. Go over to Bethlehem, they find the baby, they find Mary and Joseph, and they tell them and the crowd and everyone else like what, what the announcement was. After they pass on that announcement, they then return, but they don't return the same. The description is that they're glorifying and praising God because of what they had heard and because of what they had seen as it had been told them. You got the crowds who hear what the shepherds say regarding this child, the angel's announcement, and the description that we get of the crowd is just that they, they wondered. Now, some have made a big deal about this wondering, and, and oftentimes they try to contrast that, the, the crowd's response with Mary's response, because Mary ponders and treasures, they wondered. I, I don't know if we should make too much of that. I don't know if these, these people bent the knee and trusted in Christ, or they just kind of thought, oh, that was interesting, and went back to whatever they were doing or what they do every week. But they, they wonder, or they marvel at this news. As I already mentioned, though, Mary, this, the third person we see, she ponders. She treasures and she ponders. It's a deep reflection. It's a deep contemplation. It's a, there, there, there's an aspect of, of, of she's, she's prizing this news. She's giving it the appropriate attention that it deserves. As I already mentioned about our responses, may, may we treasure this news. May we reflect on this news. May we glorify and praise God because of this news, this good news of great joy for all the people. Jesus is that peace. We celebrate, hopefully every day, and yes, as we gather every week, but we focus on in this Advent season that Jesus was born. He was born as Savior, Christ, and Lord. And so may we, as we sang right before I get up, got up here, may we then come and let us adore Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the angel song. Thank You for this truth. Pray that if there's anyone here who hasn't turned to trust in You, Lord, that You would draw them to Yourself. They would recognize that you are peace. I pray that we would worship, praise, and submit to you as Savior, Christ, and Lord. Father, now as your people, we worship you, we praise you, and we adore you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.